Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. It is good to have Brother Corey and Sister Crystal, and they have a new baby that is just about to be born here real soon, which is a blessing to grandparents. So God bless. This is uh, Brother Corey's mom and dad, and they're from Missouri, and we're so glad to have them with us also. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Brother Hayes is a licensed minister, and God bless them. Uh, if we could all stand, we want Brother Corey to come to this pulpit. Uh, I do want to say that Brother Corey, uh, we're so glad he's with us Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and he has just became a general licensed minister, and uh, I felt like I needed to say that with a little prompting, amen, God bless him, and uh, we want him to come to this pulpit and uh, take his liberty here tonight, God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. It's so good to be with you. I can't even begin to explain how much of a blessing it is to be with friends, to be with friends that are like family, and to be with actual family. <laughs> uh, so blessed by the presence of my mom and dad. They didn't tell you how hard it was when you move six, seven hours away from your family, how hard it is to live life without your parents. I remember in the first week, I called my dad about 15 different times because I didn't know how to start the lawnmower. Uh, when we grew up, dad just, it was a turn of a key, and all of a sudden, I bought this lawnmower that was a pull of a string, and I didn't know how it worked. So uh, dads are good to have. So thankful that he's here, and so thank, thankful for the invitation to come and be with you. Uh, yes, we are about to have a little baby boy by the name of Callahan. He's due in March, and we are very excited. Everybody says, well, are you excited? And I just tell him, I said, no, I'm mortified. I just don't. No, we're very excited to welcome our baby. Uh, and Great things are happening in the Hague's household. It's chaotic right now. You would not want to see it, but it's been a blessing. I, I want to go quickly to the Word. Um, I have a lengthy passage that I'm going to read, so I don't want you to be standing forever, so I'm going to go there quickly. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 24, verse number 13, and while you're turning, allow me to give honor where honor is due. I am so thankful for Pastor Sister Burke and your family. Thank you so much. You're always gracious hosts, every single one of you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I love you. Luke 24, chapter Chapter 24, verse number 13. I'm going to read a story rather than just a passage, so please bear with me. I'm going to read fast, so please listen fast. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the, 
And the one of them, which name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this to this day, it is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were, true, which were early at the sepulcher, which means tomb. And when they found out not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them. He took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them and their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight for just a few moments tonight I want to preach this message the blessing of brokenness I wonder if you can lay down your Bibles and raise your hands with me and let's lift our voices together and pray right now thank you Jesus for your word we thank you for your power in this place we thank you for your anointing Lord, we thank you for your grace, your saving power. Lord, I pray right now that your anointing would sweep throughout this room. That it would cover us, God, and begin to fall on hearts. Lord, that it begin to bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, that it begin to answer questions, God, where there's confusion, Jesus. Lord, that you begin to reveal some things to us. That our eyes wouldn't be holden from your glory. That our eyes wouldn't be blind to your glory. But, God, you would be revealed to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And somebody say amen. 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 You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I was 12 years old when I first began to work in children's ministry. It is true, I started teaching Sunday school while I was in Sunday school. And back in those days, my parents, who are here tonight, were very active children's evangelists. We ran a team called KFC, and no, that did not mean Kentucky Fried Chicken. It meant kids for Christ. And they were great at their jobs, and we loved to travel and do children's evangelism, and they would tell you if they were up here that it was a team effort. But many times in our travels, as we went to church to church, we heard the words, you were such a blessing to us. It was a blessing to have you here. And it was always our goal and our hope to bless those that we came into contact with. And then when I was 16, I began to play the drums, and I would learn to play songs called Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, and that old song, Count Your Blessings, and I would practice on my little drum kit, my little electronic drum kit in the basement, and drive my mother crazy for hours at a time, but I was crafting my skill, honing my skills so that I could be a blessing to the kingdom, and then 
When I was 19, I began preaching, and it was always and always is a blessing uh, and an honor to be invited by pastors and youth pastors to preach and to minister. And many times I've seen saints and sinners alike raise their hands and cry aloud, Bless me, O Lord. I long to be blessed by you, O God. Many times I myself have laid hands on those that are sick and those that are lost in their spirit and have prayed, bless them, oh God, please, would you just rain down blessings. It's almost habitual. It's almost an involuntary thing that we pray for and that we ask for, for God to pour out blessing. And for good reason, it is wonderful to be blessed by God. It does our soul so good when God begins to pour out blessing on his people and on his churches and on families. But recently I've heard something that has caused me to stand up and has caused me to, my soul to stir and has caused me to wonder. You see, in 1994, a pastor by the name of Floyd Odom came to the pulpit at Because of the Times conference. And he asked this question of the, con- of the congregation. He said, why is it? That our modern church culture is so fixated on being blessed by God rather than being broken by God. I must submit to you I never really weighed the question in my mind. I never really thought about it until that moment. But it is true, is it not? We sing lyrics and songs about God giving blessing. We cry and we pray and we ask God to pour out His blessing. We come together as the church and we fast and we pray as we have been this last week that God would bless and God would pour out blessing. But never have I heard the song lyrics sing, Break me, O God. Never have I heard a saint or a sinner alike cry out, God, would you please just break me. Never have I been in a service and seen someone praise God because they were broken. No, we live in a modern church culture today where we almost demand God of his blessing. We, I went to church. I, I paid my tithes. I praised the Lord. I served on the ministry team. I should be blessed for my efforts. Our modern church culture demands God to bless, bless, bless all the time. God, would you please just bless us, but never break us don't break us just bless us but the truth of the matter today is that God will not bless what he cannot also break many times throughout scripture and throughout the Bible we see the importance of breaking the woman came with the finest and most expensive oil and perfume that she could find in that alabaster box and as she began to break it open she anointed the head of Jesus giving her best to honor her Lord the boy came with only five loaves and two fish and as Jesus blessed that he broke it and a miracle began to unfold that day while the wealthy were coming and giving of their portions and playing placing large amounts of money into the offering plate a poor little old widow came and gave all she had she walked out of that sanctuary that day completely broke but divinely blessed other stories show us the consequences of those that refused to be broken the rich young ruler saw the cost of following Jesus he said sell everything and give all to the poor and he turned held his head in shame always to wonder what if I would have broken what if I would have just given everything the generation of Israelites who were freed from Egypt never saw the promised land because they could not be broken from their sin and their doubting these stories and more show us time after time after time that there is something 
powerful that happens in the atmosphere when a child of God determines in their heart and in their mind God I wish to be broken it costs something to be broken blessings come for free but when we decide more than anything I want to be broken it costs something of us and when God honors the sacrifice he may not be a respecter of person but let me tell you God is a respecter of sacrifice and when you get broken of your will when you get broken of your selfish desires when you get broken of your ambitions God sees the sacrifice that you're breaking on an altar I'll tell you tonight it shakes heaven and it shakes hell when the people of God begin to lay aside their pride they begin to lay aside their vanity and they begin to lay aside their own selfish agendas and they determine more than anything that we want God we want to be broken we want to be broken by you God break us tonight break us of our will and let yours be done the children of Israel camped at the foot of Mount Sinai just outside of the promised land of Canaan. Having been brought out of Egypt, freed from their bondage and separated from their oppressors, the Israelites were a divinely blessed people. They saw a sea split in two. They watched as their enemy was destroyed. They were led by the pillar of the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire by night. They were blessed with water that came from the rock. They were blessed with manna that fell from heaven. They were blessed with God's presence as he showed them his glory on the side of that mountain. This generation of Israelites had arguably seen more blessings from God than any other generation before them. However... While Moses was standing on top of Mount Sinai communing with God, the Israelites grow impatient. And they demand that an idol be built, an idol be fashioned, and a false god come to fruition. And they came to Aaron, and they took their jewelry, all the things that they had taken out of Egypt, and they took their jewelry and their earrings, and they fashioned a golden calf that they bowed to, and they worshipped. This act greatly displeased and angered the Lord. And we look at this story at this moment and we struggle understanding how such a blessed people could turn their back on God so quickly and so easily. But understand and hear me tonight. This was a generation of Israelites that had been slaves to Egypt their entire lives. They only knew struggle and they only knew oppression. And while, Israel, or while Egypt enjoyed the blessings of wealth and prosperity, they were sitting there slaves to a master, poor, broken. The Israelites would observe the religious practices of their masters, of these Egyptians, and they would associate those practices with the lavish lifestyle that they enjoyed. And this weak little moment in the wilderness that the Israelites faced, where they built this golden calf as an idol, it offended God. They had turned Yahweh's blessing, and they had turned it into a wicked thing, but they probably really thought nothing of that. To them... Building the calf, building the golden idol was simply just an involuntary reflex to the trauma that they had associated their entire lives, that they had been under their entire lives. They are only doing the thing that they knew how to do. You see, while God had blessed them to the point of exodus from Egypt, they were not yet broken of their identity as slaves to a master. 
always needing an idol, always needing a master, someone to bow down to at the crack of the whip. They fell prey to the quickest fix that they could find. Worship a God made of gold just as the Egyptians did. And we point and we judge and we laugh and we mock and we wonder how could they have turned on God so easily? How could they have turned on God so quickly? But yet I ask you tonight, do we not do the exact same thing? Do we not have the exact same struggle within our own life, in our own hearts? We experience trauma in our lives and we allow it to fester and to linger long enough that it becomes part of our identity. Things that maybe nobody really knows about us, but yet we go back to Egypt every time that we find a weak moment in our life. Every time something happens that we immediately go back to the trauma in our mind. We, we go right back to Egypt. We go right back to, to the addictions. We go right back to the, the, the awful habits that we can't break back to the self-deprecating and the loathing and the negativity we go right back to that toxic behavior that put us in chains in the first place we go right back to that pain and that misery feeling feeling sorry for ourselves and allowing pity to control our emotions we go right back every single time why? Because it's the quick fix. It's, it's almost habitual. We don't even mean to do it. It's involuntary, but it's a reflex to the trauma that we've experienced in our lives. And we sit here with our golden calves and our golden idols. And we sit here and we ask God to just bless, bless, bless. And God, would you just pour out your blessing just a little bit more. And we've got all these things that, that are golden calves sitting around us asking, like, like almost like a fraudulent beggar, God, would you just bless me, bless me, bless me. Let me tell you tonight, church, God's question is not if he can bless you. He knows that he can bless you. It's not hard for God to bless you. That's just what he does. God's question for the church tonight is can he break you? Can he break you out of the identity of a slave to a sinful master? Can he break you out of the identity of the self-loathing and the hatred of yourself? Can he break you out of the slaves of sin, out of the bondage of sin? Can he break you of those things, those, those evil desires, that selfish ambition? Can he break you tonight? God knows he can bless you. God knows that's, that's what God does when he moves. All he has to do in the beginning, he just moved over a void and blessings began to happen. You don't have to beg God for blessing. His question tonight is, can he break you? We sit here with, with dry eyes singing our song, singing, singing blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Why? Because the words broken assurance just don't fit doesn't fit into the song it doesn't fit doesn't make a good story we all we want to all talk about how blessed we are and how the blessings rain down and we put up a, a fake front but the truth is really underneath that we're all just broken God can bless but can he break at the top of Mount Sinai God speaks with Moses and he tells him of this idolatry the Israelites have committed Exodus 32, chapter 9. I'm going to read to verse number 14. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make out of you a great nation. 
Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great people, with great power and a great mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them? He brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, remember Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swarmed by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. You see, Moses pleads with God to save the Israelites and he uses, he taps into the one thing that God loves more than people. His glory. The glory of the Lord. See, that amazes us because we've heard our whole life, well, we're the apple of his eye. And that is true. He loves you very, very, very much. But there's one thing God loves more than his people and that is his glory. God spared the Israelites that day, not because he loved them. He was ready to wipe them off the face of the earth. But he spared them because he loved what he was going to do through them. He loved what was going to come out of that nation of Israel. For it is written, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power and the glory of God for salvation. Given first through the Jew and brought to the Gentile. The way of salvation came through those idolatrous Israelites. The way of salvation came through that stiff-necked people and God upholding His glory, remembering His covenant in that moment and relenting from His wrath knew that the life of those stiff-necked Israelites would eventually lead to Jesus dying on a cross for the sin of this world. God loved his glory because his glory led to the cross. God loved his glory more that day because it led to salvation. It led to victory over death. It led to victory over hell. It led to victory over the grave. I thank God that he turned from his wrath that day because I thank God for the cross. I thank God that he chose his glory for we are saved by his glory. It's none other than the glory of the cross. It's the glory that bled down Mount Calvary. It's the glory that took the nails in the hands and his feet. It's that glory that walked up that mountain, bloody, beaten, bruised. But it's that glory that saves us when we come up out of a watery grave. It's that glory that breathes new life fresh into our lungs. It's that glory that will give us eternity in heaven. We don't have to spend an eternity in damnation because of his glory. Oh, how sweet is the glory. Taste and see for the Lord is good. Oh, how sweet is the glory of God. Because it saves. 
I wonder right now if we can just raise our hands and thank him for his glory. Come on, let your voice out. Thank you, God, for your glory. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, lift your voice, church. Yes, that's the power of his glory. Filling this room from the front to the back, the anointing begins to sweep in. It's by nothing else than the glory of God. It's by nothing else than the sweet power of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you for your glory, God. Thank Thank you, Lord, for the cross. A heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back and legs. He sits helpless, bent over, and tied to a wooden post. At first, the throngs of the whip cut through his skin only. But as the blows continue, they cut deeper, producing first an oozing of blood from the veins of his skin, and finally bleeding from veins and vessels in the muscles underneath the skin. The small shards of a sharp lead first, uh, first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. Half fainting and stumbling, Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in the Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand for a scepter. Flexible branches covered with long, thick thorns are crafted into the shape of a crown and then pressed deep into his scalp. After mocking him and striking him across the face time and time again, the soldiers take the stick from his hand and strike him across the head, driving the thorns deeper. Finally, the robe is torn from his back and the cloth ripped from his thighs. Jesus is marched through the streets, bleeding naked and skin shredded. Again, the soldiers whip the wounds of Jesus as he stumbles to his cross. The heavy structure of the cross is tied to his shoulders, so tight the rope burns its way into the wounds of his back and chest. In spite of his efforts to walk, the weight of the heavy wooden beam together with the shock produced by blood loss is too much. He stumbles and falls just to be met with another strike from a whip. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. For 670 yards, Jesus marches uphill to Calvary. Once they reach the top, Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of each wrist. He drives a heavy square seven-inch iron nail through his wrist and deep into the wood. The cross is then filled, is then lifted in place as, at the top of the stripes, and a banner is hung reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You begin to see it. You begin to picture 
this glorious moment. Don't preach to me a pretty cross. There was nothing pretty about this moment. Don't preach to me this fluffed up beautiful version of what the cross was. No, the cross was broken. It was bloody. It was bruised. It was beaten. It was a broken thing. But that is what the glory of God is. We sit here with dry eyes. Bless us. Bless us. Bless us. And never once does it cross our mind. God can bless us, but God must break us. We must break because our Savior is broken. Bloody. He climbing up a mountain. Nailed to a cross. They laughed. They mocked him. He was broken. Oh, but how glorious was that moment because that's the salvation that we know. That's your Lord and Savior sitting up there, laughed at, naked, bloody. Oh, it was it was broken. It wasn't beautiful, but it was glorious. It was glorious. It was glorious. The left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of the ankles, leaving the knees flexed. Jesus is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up each arm. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on his lungs, causing the nerves to flare in severe pain. As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, nodding them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intertorsal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to keep even one short breath as carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream. Occasionally, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in what little oxygen he can. It was undoubtedly during these periods that he uttered short sentences. Looking down at the Roman soldiers throwing dice for his seamless garment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Eventually, he looks into his weeping mother's eyes and cries, Behold thy son. A mother screams in terror as her son's life is taken before her eyes. For six hours, Jesus experienced limitless pain, cycles of twisting joint-rendering cramps, asphyxiation, searing pain when tissue is torn from its lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then agony begins, a terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as a sack around his heart slowly fills with serum and water and begins to compress his heart, his main arteries. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids have reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. Jesus grasps a weak cry, I thirst. The body of Jesus is now in extremes and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out a 
tortured whisper, it is finished. His mission of atonement has been completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deep, deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. To make sure of death, the legionnaire drove his spear between the ribs of Jesus, upward through his lungs and into his heart, and immediately there came out blood and water. That is, there was an escape of water fluid from the sack surrounding the heart, giving evidence that Jesus died not the usual, usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but rather of heart failure. Throughout this whole process, not a single bone in his body was broken. Jesus took his last breath, dying from the weight and constriction of fluid that was breaking arteries flowing directly into his heart. Jesus died of a broken heart. Sitting with Cleopas and Luke, the disciples and Jesus begin to discuss these recent events on Golgotha, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. Having already been crucified three days earlier, they did not recognize who Jesus was. It wasn't until Jesus took hold of a loaf of bread. And he took it, and he began to break it. He took it, he began to break it apart, that they began to realize who he was. They couldn't recognize the blessing right in front of them until they witnessed the breaking. They couldn't recognize the blessing in their life. Standing right in front of them, sitting at their dining room table, until they saw the twisting and the breaking of the bread. How many times in our life have we cried out, God bless, bless, bless. While our Savior hangs on a cross, bloody, beaten, broken, broken, broken. It would be good on this first night of revival. God longs to bless his people. God longs to bless his children. But on this first night of revival. I think the most important thing God wants us to do. Is determine as a church. Determine as a unified body of Christ. Lord more important than anything. More important than any blessing that you can give. More important than anything you can do in our lives. More important than anything you can do in our finances. More important than anything you can do in my body. More important than anything you can do in this neighborhood. In this community. Is break us. Break us. Why? Because you are broken. You were broken at Calvary. You were broken on the cross. Your body was broken. Broken. Oh Lord, break us, Jesus. Break us of our desires. Break us of our ambitions. Break us of our will. Break us, God. Break us, God. Break us. Oh, 
for when the breaking starts happening. Oh, that's when the blessing is going to be revealed to you. That's when God's going to take the scales off your eyes. Your spirit's not going to be holding out anymore. Your spirit's not going to be blind to it anymore. You'll understand you've been blessed all along. You'll understand he's seen every step. You'll see that he's seen every tear. You'll understand and know that God's had his hand on you the whole life. But you've got to be broken for it. Oh, you got to be broken for His glory is broken.